Rare Cancers Australia, you're listening to Radio Rare, a podcast where we share the stories of those in and around the rare and less common cancer community. And welcome to another episode of Radio Rare. Today, as part of our COVID Connect mini-series, we hear from Rupert, a national clinical advisor at Headspace, the National Youth Mental Health Foundation that provides early intervention mental health services to 12 to 25-year-olds. Rupert gives us an insight into what many young people are feeling in the wake of 18 months of consistent changes and challenges. He also provides some tips and strategies for people of all ages who may be struggling to deal with the ongoing uncertainty. Before we begin, a reminder to all of you listening. We at Rare Cancers Australia have a vision that no Australian should have to go through their cancer experience alone. And if you or your caregiver ever need to speak to someone, our specialist cancer navigators are here for you. Reach out on 1800 257 600 or email support at rarecancers.org.au. Hi, Rupert. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on Radio Rare today speaking into the psychological well-being of people around Australia at the moment. So we're speaking about 18 months into this COVID pandemic. It's hit the world with so much force and there's been so much suffering right around the world, healthcare, financial, emotional distress particularly. And we're only just now starting to see hopefully some light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm sure you know this well because you are based in Melbourne. So you've you've been through a very long, multiple very long lockdowns. The whole pandemic has revealed many social inequities, system weaknesses, economic injustices and other disparities that were never as obvious before, one of which is how much the mental health system is struggling to service Australians. Now, there are many reasons COVID has caused people to struggle, which I talked briefly about before. Can you start by telling me what you've noticed um, are people's main concerns and how people are dealing with those concerns at the moment with what you've experienced? Yeah, certainly. Thank you for having me. And um, yeah, certainly it's, I can speak to my experience with uh, young people in Australia, but also my own experience in lockdown. Um, certainly uh, what we're seeing is a lot of people are feeling like the, the exhaustion, this has gone on for quite a long period of time in people's lives. And it's been a continued source of kind of distress, almost like an irritant in the background, no matter where you are in the world, it's kind of just there playing out in the background and we're constantly reminded of it daily. But the main things we're seeing from young people are feelings of disconnection, uncertainty, increases in worry, lots of stress, anger, feeling overwhelmed by a lot of the uh, changes and challenges that people are facing in their daily lives. You know, we're not being able to, we're not able to connect with our family and friends or go to school. Um, maybe, maybe our working arrangements have changed. So there's a bit of, this is significant change that's thrown up a lot of challenges. But I guess what I'm, we're seeing a lot more of nowadays is, um, and I think, you know, we need to start speaking a bit more about it. Is there some collective grief for this sense of mourning that a lot of people are experiencing? The world that we entered in 2020 has changed significantly since then. The way we interact with people, the way we go to shops, the way we go to cafes, the way we, we purchase things, you know, myself buying things online. These have caused considerable changes to the way we operate our daily lives. And I think there is a real sense of um, grief for those changes. 
Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? And it's it's not changes that are going to yeah. change back, is it? We're, these are permanent things that are, some of them are, some of them aren't, but some of the, them are permanent things in the ways in which we interact with people and, and changes that have been brought about to systems. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, you know, I think of people who have like hopes and dreams and like, you know, their, their vision for the future is slightly changed now because the way they're going to be able to achieve that, you know, certainly um, different ways of going about things that were quite simple and, you know, well understood in the past, you know, this new normal is coming about, but it comes at the um, expense of what the world was and, and that, that feeling of loss, I think is, you know, whether we're really conscious of it, a lot of people are feeling it. Mm. And it's shone a light on things as well. It's shone a light on how important it is to have face-to-face interactions and community. I think people have not realised how much they've relied on certainty so not having to look at daily numbers, case numbers, and wondering if you're going back into lockdown, that, that's, that's been really unsettling for people, but also community. So speaking to the first point, why, are, why do you think people are finding the daily numbers and the overwhelming, the, the general uncertainty so stressful? Well, I think that's a great question. I, I think if you think about that first part, what, why are daily numbers quite stressful? I think it comes back to what I was saying a bit earlier around this is a big, large scale event that is causing a lot of distress and disruption to people's lives. And, you know, um, even the best of us are feeling that in, in some, you know, those that are, are feeling well and resi- resilient are feeling it at some point. But I find that, you know, those daily numbers are a constant kind of niggle or an irritation in the back back of your mind that this is actually still going on and it's kind of a measure of how we're tracking so it's kind of difficult to escape that um, constant reminder of this is a thing that's happening in our lives and it continues to be changing every day numbers go up numbers don't go down Um, and the second part of that is uncertainty is really stressful Um, we're creatures of routine we like predictability it makes our lives easier you know knowing that we're going to get up and go to work at nine to five or school um, makes our brain not have to work as hard um, it knows what the pattern is um, and these uh, these times are quite uncertain uh, so our brains are working overtime and when our brains are working overtime it, it it has to kind of take on a lot more information has to try and understand um, you know what am I doing this day how am I going to interact with people all these things um, increase the um, activity in our brain and can cause us to feel increased levels of stress so I think you know we've got people who are you know constantly reminded that we're in this situation that is ever-changing that continues to produce um, uncertainty which is um, contributing to people having uh, some people having experienced um, high levels of stress mm, and I think uncertainty as well is, is a reminder that we're not in control of everything in our lives. And I think in a, in a Western country, a developed country like Australia, people who are healthy um, and who, have, uh, who can rely on their general physical health usually have a lot of certainty in their lives. Now, I know we're speaking to a cancer community, um, that have a lot of uncertainty in their lives because they, they're kind of somewhat more used to living with uncertainty because they can't rely on their health as much and, and they're not sure what results are going to show. But for the most part, a lot of people aren't used to that kind of uncertainty and it's very unsettling, um, especially doing it in isolation. I think that that's been critical as well. So what is it about 
isolation and the lockdowns that you think causes a heightened anxiety as well? Um, well, I, I think I think it's really important to call out that some people won't find heightened anxiety from isolation and lockdown because uh, being in isolation and lockdown for some people does provide certainty and those people that are not really keen on uh, getting out and mixing with other people having kind of a predictability and you know these are the limitations that I can operate in are actually quite comforting for some people but there are those that will feel cut off from others and, and their routines and an opportunity and things that make them happy and that kind of lack of agency I guess that you you mentioned before that kind of set you know, it's not something that a lot of people, uh, for a majority of people, um, are, are faced with often. It's a confronting thing to be faced with uncertainty about something in your life. And I think the isolation and lockdowns can um, kind of really put that in the forefront of people's experience. Um, lockdowns do impact people in different ways, um, you know. Uh, I think can think of um, people who are, you know, some who are working in an office or attending school, they're suddenly now doing all those things from home. There's um, increased activity in their home that wasn't used to, that they weren't used to. Like I said before, our brains like routine and a little bit of predictability. So um, having the kind of, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, worker at home but then more so a home person at home can be really confusing for our brain to actually make that distinction. So I, th I do think that um, it's it's the change, it's the uncertainty, it's the overlapping of roles, the perhaps lack of some boundaries that have occurred from working and being at home quite often, but also the disconnection that people have. I mean, uh, we know that we're a social species, humans, we like connection, feeling connected to others makes us feel safe, makes us feel secure. And I think, you know, increased isolation through these um, last couple of years has really um, tested some people. So, Rupert, which groups of people have you found are the most vulnerable to mental health decline during this time? Uh, well, we know that young people are disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. Um, Headspace, who I work for, supports young people aged 12 to 25 and their family and friends. Um, and we are seeing that, you know, there's a sense of loss of opportunity, a loss of, um, you know, uh, hope for the future at times that, um, this, you know, experiences during the pandemic for young people who are often our frontline workers working in our supermarkets, cafes, restaurants, who have been um, more, more disproportionately affected by the lockdowns um, is making uh, them who are going through a really vulnerable time with their mental health and well-being at increased risk of um, further mental health challenges. And how have you at Headspace been counselling people to improve their day-to-day -day thought patterns, their moods, their general mental well-being? Yeah, so Headspace um, does support young people who are going through a tough time, but we, we're, we're out there to try and support all young people within the community. And certainly we've been uh, out there talking with a lot of young people during this time of lockdown to look after themselves in terms of what we call the seven healthy Headspace tips. So they're things like eating well, being physically active, getting a good night's sleep, cutting back on alcohol and other drugs, but things like learning skills for a tough time. So this might be meditation, journaling, different approaches to managing strong emotional reactions, trying out new things. So like learning new hobbies, 
trying to find, find different ways to create connection. Um, this is really where our focus has been on supporting young people during this very difficult time to really focus in on those practical skills that you can implement. Um, it doesn't have to be big. It could just be, you know, getting up at the same time each day, creating a sense of routine at home can really help take some of the uncertainty that we were talking about earlier out of, out of their days. But yeah, I'm looking at different approaches to those strategies. So on a practical level, do you... Are you the ones who make those connections regularly with those young people or do you encourage them to make connections with people around them? Certainly um, uh, young people can build connections with um, health providers and mental health providers, but it's really around building and fostering those connections with members in their community. A mental health provider often is only seeing someone maybe once a fortnight for an hour. You know, that's a big expectation, I guess, to place on the, the safety of that connection. So it's really about fostering those connections within someone's life. And, and certainly I think the goal of any kind of mental health professional is not to be in someone's life forever. It's actually to set them up to succeed. And what tactics have people been using that they've found useful in combating the feelings of isolation for those who, who don't like isolation? I know you mentioned checking in and, and making connections, but how have people been, you know, what tactics have they used to connect? I know technology features very, very significantly. Yeah, technology. We've been talking a lot about technology, you know, doing those things like Zoom trivia afternoons or Zoom online classes for dance or yoga or those kind of things. But, um, you know, young people are, are very creative. Uh, young people are really um, into their connections through, you know, uh, social media platforms, uh, video games. You know, I've got colleagues who say they've got 15-year-old young people at home who say, you know, are you checking in with your friends? And they're like, nah, but I do hang out with them on, on the PlayStation in the evening and chat to them there. So, you know, young people are very resilient, but it is around connecting in with um, others in your way. So some people might like to pick up the phone every now and then have a bit of a chat with someone if that person then also wants to answer the telephone um you could be just you know sending uh, a nice photograph or a message here and there but it also could be around choosing to participate in online community activities um i myself have been participating in online dance class which is you know getting me physically active but also making me feel connected to people that i can't really see at the moment other things like, you know, if you're able to getting outside and going for a walk, um, if it's permittable, going to have those picnics that people are having these days. I think these are really um, important strategies for combating isolation and, and really um, going at your own pace and knowing that it's okay to feel, to feel those feelings of isolation. A lot of people are feeling them at the moment um, and it can feel really overwhelming. I know lots of people I speak to say that, you know, I just don't have the energy to maintain all those Zoom chats or those Zoom activities. I'm actually just really tired and so my, my focus at the moment is just getting a good night's sleep and making sure I've got a regular sleep pattern. I, I speak to people who say they're really just struggling with motivation um, from the isolation so you know we talk about things like making sure we get dressed for work or school each day, um, not staying in our pajamas all day, um, those little micro transmissions, transitions sorry, between um, me as someone who's living at home and me as someone who's working or studying at home. Um, so these are really important strategies. And then things like, you know, taking time to practice relaxation, maybe some mindfulness meditation, if you've got the space, doing those things that make you feel, you know, just connected in, but yeah, going at your own pace. And those things like the routine and getting dressed every day, that helps because that gives you a sense of control over some small things in your day and and combats that uncertainty that we were talking about before. Just going back to that, that's not something we can necessarily fix. We can just 
manage it by creating smaller things that we can control. And I know you're not, and, and certainly other mental health professionals are not there to try and fix. We can't fix uncertainty. So how do you talk to people about managing their uncertainty and those feelings of unsettledness, negative and anxious thoughts that circulate when they're surrounded by things that they can't control? I think the first step I always take in you know, thinking about things that we can't control and when they're causing us quite a lot of distress, anguish, is just certainly being empathetic. This is a tough time. These are really big feelings to really uncontrollable circumstances and there is nothing that we can do to change the circumstance from a kind of operational point of view. We can't uh, suddenly get elected to government and change strategies or or change a um, kind of experience of a health condition. So really the focus for me around is kind of sitting with people and going, yeah, you know, this this really sucks at the moment. This is a really tough space to be. And through that kind of space of empathy, we're able to build connection and we can start looking at from another side of things going, okay, so this has come out for us quite a lot. In the past, there's been uncertainty. What's worked and helped in those moments when you've been faced with challenging times and doing a bit of a deeper dive into what's worked before in the past. Some people, um, you know, when faced with long, prolonged distresses can forget or find it harder to um, remember, especially when our brain's overwhelmed with lots of kind of anxious thoughts. Those times that we have been successful and those times that we have overcome adversity because we're quite resilient as individuals often. So really it's around kind of looking at what's worked, but then also working with people to kind of explore what's in their toolkit, what kind of strategies they can use to deal with tough times. So it might be doing some really practical things like eating well, drinking plenty of water, getting a good night's sleep to help our body feel well rested and having the energy to approach these really difficult times if we can. But it could be things like taking up a journal and, you know, this is bothering me. I'm going to take it off my mind by writing it down into a, a book. That way I can remind myself that, you know, I've, I don't have to think about it right now. I can get on with doing the other thing that I find really important and actually more enjoyable in my day, carving out space for those things that we do have control over. You mentioned it nicely before when we were talking about routine is a really great way to bring kind of certainty and control. You know, um, try, if we, you know, we're finding it difficult to do like a task or something that's really important during a time of uncertainty because we've got that extra stress coming into our lives. I think it's really um, helpful to break things down to smaller, manageable, bite-sized tasks because uh, I don't know, I'm a big list person. If I write things down in a list, I get a little, little bit of, you know, a bit bump of dopamine every time I tick off that uh, thing off my list. And it's really about going at your own pace and, and kind of setting those kind of small wins in your life that can give you that sense of success and build that confidence um, and, and, and give you the space to um, reconnect with those skills that you may already have to overcome ad adversity or uncertainty. And, you know, it's really important that um, we recognize that um, there will be uncertainty um, to different degrees in our lives at different points in our lives. Um, and that we do have the capacity to either work with it, go with it, um, you know, uncertainty and adversity can only make, can make us stronger in a lot of ways. So it's really important to kind of connect in with what works for you and, and you don't have to get it right every time. I think that's a really important message. 
Yeah, that's right. I was thinking the other day, um, as I was talking to my daughter, you know, about her anxious thoughts, I thought, in this time, it's not really, we, I mean, we use that cliche mind over matter, but it's, we need to flip it, I think. It's more like matter over mind. We need to get on with the small tasks and not overthink because we can't, we can't plan ahead during a pandemic. We can't know much about what's going to be happening at Christmas time. Um, and it's just a matter of getting on with your tasks every day to try and still our minds a bit more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the friends of uncertainty is worry and that's getting caught up in those thoughts about the future. Like what what if, what what could happen in the future? What, what if this happens? What if we're not open by Christmas time? What if I can't see my family? Those kind of thoughts can be really kind of like adding fuel to the fire, I think. So, you know, it's really natural to get caught up and thinking about things in the future, but it's really, I think, helpful to bring where you can and it does take time and practice your mind's back to what can I do right now you know can I just go for a walk today to take my mind off things can I put on clothes and on pajamas that I slept in and go go to a meeting or go to class can I um you know think about something nice I'm going to cook for dinner that's going to be healthy and nutritious these are the kind of things that are really um in our control at the moment and they can be really helpful in reducing that sense of uncertainty and worry and physical things as well, exercise, it's not just about distracting yourself. It actually does boost the, the happy hormones and helps you, you know, beat the funk and, and absolutely actually improves motivation, doesn't it? Do you, do you recommend physical activity a lot? Yeah, absolutely. I think physical activity uh, is really important. I think, you know, uh, it's really important that when we're talking about physical activity that we, you know, often people think I've got to hit the gym, I've got to you know, run a marathon, I've got to, you know, buy all this fancy sportswear, but it's actually physical activities are just about moving your body for at least 40 minutes a day. And it's about doing it your way and what you're able to do. So I'm not a big gym goer myself. I find them really overwhelming and stressful. So my way of moving my body is you're making sure I do a half hour walk each day and then going to maybe doing a, an online dance class at the moment because I can't go to a studio, but that's my way of connecting because it's fun. I'm moving my body. But there are, yeah, definitely benefits from, you know, team sports, that connection with other people, you know, uh, there are benefits to your physical health. Our, our brains don't operate in isolation from our rest of our bodies. We are one being, and it's really important to remember that, you know, what's good for our bodies is good for our brains as well. Um, there are other ways of doing physical activity that can be helpful for um, your mind and your emotions. And these are really simple things like meditation, relaxation techniques and breathing techniques which are all physical based but they have a real connection to our mind and our thoughts mm, so true so Rupert do you think these issues that we've been talking about will just go away after we've eventually come out of the acute phase of this pandemic lockdowns have ceased things have got back to the new normal do you think everything will just fade away or do you think we'll have ongoing mental health issues and problems adjusting Oh, I wish I had a crystal ball. I think if, uh, you know, I think with changes to pandemics and lockdowns and a bit more certainty with, you know, where the world is heading in terms of um, plans, I think feelings of isolation and uncertainty may reduce. So I, I, I'm not sure what like the long-term impacts will be of the pandemic on people's mental health and well-being in the longer term. I think that's a thing that we're going to have to watch and wait and see. And I really think it's important that we continue to have the conversations around supporting anyone to look after their mental health and well-being at this point in time. 
interestingly though during this time we've also learned lots of skills and and people are learning skills that i think they're going to carry forward with them last year headspace um, did a survey and we found that uh, young people are finding different ways to spend time with their you know their pets feeling more empathy towards vulnerable people feeling more grateful and fortunate and feeling greater connection to family and you know other things like that are really positive outcomes to come from the covid 19 pandemic so I think the impact of this pandemic is going to be lifelong for a lot of people. Um, I think there's going to be results of, you know, positive change, awareness of other people's well-being and awareness of other people's ways of looking after themselves. I think certainly we've spent a lot of time recently kind of <laughs> practicing and testing different ways to looking after ourselves. But, you know, that doesn't take away from the impact that a sustained period of distress from uncertainty, disconnection can have lifelong impacts for some people so for the people who are listening who i mean specifically our cancer community but but anyone who has their own long-term health issues even prior to this pandemic how can people not fixate their every thought on their or their family's health even those who are just really concerned about covid or they have underlying conditions that make them more vulnerable Sometimes health can, your own health and, and well-being and your family's health and well-being can be all-consuming. And this is a pandemic of a health issue. How can people stop fixating their thoughts on their own health? Ah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, first I'd, I'd say, yeah, for people that do have a diagnosis of cancer or have a health concern in their family where health is a really common topic, common place for their thoughts, it would be not unexpected that you throw in a, a virus, a, a health concern into the mix that's changing the way we're lives, that people would be feeling, um, some people would be feeling really high levels of stress or high levels of worry about health concerns. You know, um, you know, I've, I've already got this health concern, um, but then you've thrown another potentially really rapidly contagious, you know, virus out there. What if I get it? What if I, what if a family member gets it? What if a loved one gets it? You know, all of those things um, would play out in a far more distressing way than I think for a lot of people who may not have health concerns as their main kind of focus. Um, so yeah, I could say, uh, you know, it would be pretty normal um, for someone who is experiencing a health concern like cancer to be experiencing higher levels of worry and thoughts like uh, of um, an experience of distress. So my advice would be to explore what you can do to distract yourself from those thoughts. And I, I don't see distraction as like a kind of throwaway kind of thing, but I think it's really important that we learn skills for tough times generally. That would be my advice for a lot of people. And I think for people who may be experiencing higher thoughts of health and health worry at this time, to be looking at what has helped them to before in the past to cope when they've been over, when they've experienced um, increased worry or anxiety or distress or despair in relation to health news. So things like, you know, the journaling I mentioned earlier, meditation, if that works for you, relaxation, talking to a friend, connecting with those that make you feel happy and good in the moment, getting a good night's sleep, doing all those things around, you know, maintaining a healthy lifestyle where possible and where you're able. I think it's really important that we remind everyone who may be having a tough time during this time that you don't have to do this alone, like reach out to supports. There are supports available. 
um, you know, for young people, we've got headspace in this um, country, but there are supports like Lifeline, you know, your, your local doctor is a really good resource if you're feeling overwhelmed. Um, I think one of the really nice things around this pandemic is though that we've been divided and isolated, there is a greater sense of connection. And I think it's um, really um, important that we capitalise on that. Thank you so much, Rupert, for speaking to us today. We've really appreciate your, appreciated your experience, your expertise, your advice, and just giving up your time in general. I know that things are busy and things are tough in Melbourne right now, so really appreciate it. Thank you. No dramas. I really appreciate you having me here. Thank you for joining us for another COVID Connect episode of Radio Rare. The world we are living in today has changed significantly from the world we entered in 2020. Although we are all looking ahead to brighter days, for many of us, a lagging sense of uncertainty remains. If this sounds like you, we hope this episode has reassured you that you are not alone and provided you with some useful tools to help navigate the next stage of the pandemic. Just as everyone's cancer journey is unique, so is each individual's experience of the pandemic. We hope that by listening to this podcast mini-series that these views and insights will help you feel more connected to others who are also navigating the uncertainty of living with COVID-19 and that you can take away practical advice and ideas for your own journey. Radio Rare is produced in-house at Rare Cancers Australia and is hosted by Dr Emily Isham and me, James Matthews. Mixing of today's show by Alexander Smith, reporting by Dr Emily Isham, we are edited by Casey Virgin and myself, and our episode music is from Audioblocks. You can listen to all of our episodes for free on our website, and you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Simply search Rare Cancers Australia and click the subscribe or follow button at the top of the page. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn to keep up to date with written stories from patients, carers, and information regarding rare cancers. Thank you for listening. We'll be back shortly with our next episode. Bye for now.